Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Greetings, comrades, and welcome to the Eastern Border. I'm still working on my articles, both Latvian and uh, American one. It just, it's harder than I thought. However, well, I can give you some basic notions about how things went down in Ukraine. And, uh, well, what Victor is doing there. I hope that we'll get more materials as we go on. But for now, I just wanted to talk about what I saw over there in Odessa, in Zaporozhye, and all over the place. I hope you have seen my vlogs. They have been posted on Discord, on Twitter, when I still was on there. By the way, uh, Elon Musk managed to take $10 away from me because I got some money incoming. And um, yeah, those are lost now. I'm pretty sure that's illegal, but uh, well, what can you do? Basically, to those of you who haven't listened to this, we went to Ukraine with a car that was given to be donated to the Ukrainian army. And this was the car that was, well, taken away from a drunk driver, because all the drunk driver cars just are get sent to Ukraine. Secondly, the guy who was with was Viktor. You really should know about Viktor at this point. If not, please go and listen to my How I Got Arrested episode. But I'll just continue from after there. After that whole event, we decided to go and see how how the deflooded areas looked like. And that was a quite a long ride. That was through Mikolaev, where we saw more destroyed buildings. And there the locals already started being more anxious, I suppose. People are trying to live their lives, but the closer to the front lines you get, the harder it becomes. And then we drove past by, thanks to Anthony from Ukraine Without a High podcast, past a Nikopol, and before that uh, went through some smaller villages. The checkpoints were empty there for I don't know what reason. So we managed to go out on, on the coast and just talk to locals in this small village and then a bit in Nicopol about how to, how it is like after the, the dam explosion. At one point, we're actually, you know, we're super close to Russian lines. We were standing like where the, where the river used to be and now it's just mud plains and talking to locals. Apparently, the biggest issue is not drinking water. Drinking water gets delivered to them every day, basically. However, the biggest issue is that they have lost all groundwater there. 
and there's going to be a massive humanitarian issue later on, since, well, most of the crops are going to die, since there were no, well, rain. There was no rain, and all the wells are, well, poisoned. That place was chosen because Anthony told us that Nicopol, and near Nicopol, there was this abandoned Cossack uh, old capital there. And, you know, sitting out there in a place where no one from Western world has ever been in the last, I don't know how many years, on the on the smart plane, I mean, and staring down at, at some ruined buildings, <laughs> that was interesting, until we understood that there's literally nothing behind, like between us and the Russian artillery. And we started hearing artillery noises, and then Anthony spotted some mines. We talked to this, and then we moved onwards because we wanted to take some pictures of the Zaporozhye power plant. But, you know, we got on there and, uh, well, that didn't go as well as expected. I won't go into details at this point since Anthony very politely asked me not to, but, you know, <laughs> happened. It's, it's for some other time, just, just a bit later. I'll remember this one. Then we went on to Zaporizhia. And here, I, here we only could stay in a hostel full with uh, military guys. And we spoke with uh, some drone people there. And I noticed that near our hostel... There was this Latvian artillery consulate. So, made some connections, and next morning we went with me and Victor, because Anthony is not an EU citizen, so that's a bit of a mess. We went and talked to our consul, and then, well, managed to speak with his friend, who also is an aide there, who is also the officer directly responsible for dealing with Russian POWs. That thing was interesting, you know. These honorary consuls are basically places outside of the capital where locals, at least in our case, locals work for Latvian interests. And on the next morning when we were there in Zaporizhia, Latvian government was giving away a bunch of these cars for local cops. I was taken there, taking pictures, and interviewed the the officer there. And you could see that everything was like palpable with, um, with how the attitude towards us were and what was going on there. The dam itself is a military object that has been crushed. Like, Zaporizhia Dam is the next one above Kachovka Dam. Kachovka Dam was below it. But over there, apparently, our consulate is the only one that's still remaining. I mean, the Latvian one. Which is why the consul told me great thanks for, you know, being able to represent Latvia and something happening on these parts. But the most important part, obviously, from all this meeting was, was when I spoke with, with both the consul and... Well, the officer, the officer's name, by the way, was uh, Vitaly, if I'm not mistaken. It's somewhere in GoPro, and I couldn't find it right now, but it started with V, and <laughs> wouldn't be surprised if it also would be Viktor, but uh, probably not, because we have already enough Viktors in this study. But the thing is, this person used to be a retired colonel. He's only 35, but he managed to get retired, and when the war started, he just came back to the Ukraine, to Ukrainian army. Our consul there, Leonid, he was also very, kind of, from the military background. He had a lot of military friends. I do not know exactly what he did, but he was there, giving out cars, giving out humanitarian aid. Apparently, Latvia has sent already about 1,200 cars to Ukraine, which is really really good. And he's organizing all this aid and everything, and helping out the locals as well. And I want to talk to, to the POWs. But I was politely told not to. And not because, you know, not because it would be dangerous or anything. No, it isn't. It's just that Vitaly once again confirmed my already 
lingering suspicions from all the videos that I have seen. He just said it would be pointless. They do not think like we do. They do not act like us. They only surrender because, well, their lives are in danger. And interestingly enough, out of all the people who are surrendering, only about, um, only about, at least earlier, uh, currently it's a bit different, only about 2% of people were ideological ones who didn't want to fight. Right now, by the way, the number has increased, but that happened literally in the last few days to about 10%. But uh, for the most part, they truly do believe all this propaganda thing. The volunteers do, at least. The mobilized, well, that's a bit of a different story. But not like they are super happy to do anything. They also say say to Ukrainians that they either have a choice to, you know, if they go back and just leave and try not to attack, then they'll be shot by their own guys. So, you know, that's why they have to do all these things. An interesting quote was when I heard this report, when someone had asked Ukrainians after, sorry, when someone had asked Russians after the Ukrainians had introduced them to, you know, giving them work, giving them food and everything, do you still think Ukrainians are Nazis? And the response was, well, yes, you are, of course, Nazis, except you are civilized Nazis. And that seems extremely silly. Apparently, these POWs, yeah, they show no interest in changing or anything. They are there, and they're just acting somewhat illogically. They're sad that they probably can't go and attack better on some points. Again, a lot of them are Girkins fans, so therefore it's obvious why they would think that way. But I was surprised that more mobilized are not, not thinking like this. On the Ukrainian side, however... Well, the humanity uh, that they give to them is basically a courtesy. To be honest, I didn't see anyone in the military who'd bear any warm feelings towards Russians, and I can understand them. They are polite because we have given them rules, and rules are to be observed. Not because they would actually care about the Russians, because... No, at this point they no longer do. After all, Zaporizhia is in the eastern part of Ukraine, and that has suffered the most from the war. We got very lucky since our bombardments, whenever we arrived, were just either in the morning of the day, then we arrived later, or in the very next day. We had the weird situation there. The next day, the very day we left Zaporizhia, it was bombed. And just to show you how often these things happen. The locals, by the way, are very interested in all sorts of journalists and everything. When, uh, when Victor found out about, um, you know, when Victor saw a trash can with, riddled with bullet holes and shrapnel holes and everything like that, and he wanted to film this because there were ants crawling through it. You know, and he sits down and pulls out his macro lens at one point. And then I just have to deal with all these locals who check for our press passes and everything. And I've been there for two weeks, by the way. I've been in Ukraine for two weeks and I still hadn't gotten my press pass. It's not even there at this point. I'm going to poke them back again. But yeah, in general, people are very concerned about all this, all the situation. Interestingly enough, in Zaporizhia, because this is the city closest to the front lines, which is considered still rear, because people go when they're on the rotation there. It is illegal to wear a military uniform on the streets to keep panic from spreading and so that the Russians wouldn't know where to launch their missiles. This is why also the POWs are not exactly allowed to see many people, different people in military uniforms, which is why they stuck to their interrogators. And the Ukrainian side, by the way, absolutely does not believe anything the Russian POWs say. 
everything has to be triple wetted because it's known that they lie often, a lot of times. In a way, they are kept also to just be exchanged for for Ukrainian soldiers. And they often are asked, why don't you do something in in the country or, or in your own country? Or why would you come and fight here? And yeah, funnily enough, as I was told, it's mostly about money. And not in the money in the sense of in the sense of making huge profits. No. Like we mentioned in the economics episode, there's a lot of a lot of debt in Russia. People are sometimes even desperate. And also, well, quite a lot of them genuinely believe that they have some sort of a right towards Ukraine and also towards Poland and the Baltics and all the other places around them. The saddest part is that they just Sometimes they just refuse to even do anything useful, to even like work or something. They also, when their POWs, they, they will cooperate, as I'm told, only when, only when they are truly desperate. And then again, they'll lie for the most part. Strangely enough, it doesn't even matter where these guys are from. But they, what matters to them is that they have bought in to this whole, this whole little book that I posted a while earlier here on the podcast. And it makes me very sad. The Russians themselves, they complain that the local villages, well, that's from the POWs, that the local villages are somehow not pro-Russian, surprisingly enough. And that, well, the, their government is not working with them that much. Which, by the way, is uh, in the news part also explainable, since, uh, well, the military guys in Russian army want to win the war. Meanwhile, Putin, Putin wants to win the election. And the election, you know, although it's totally fake, it has to be used to show that Putin has some sort of popular support. Because, you know, that keeps the oligarchs in check. And for that, they usually just, you know, spend some administrative resources, dole out some goodies, give some money to some people and stuff like that. You know, spend money on the people just before the election, give them some sausage to keep them happy. The military doesn't want that. They want more economy. So neither that or or, or the other is happening. It's looking like a mess. That is also what these soldiers on the line are experiencing. They're often just being given orders and supposed to obey them without question. For the most part, also, the, everything that Putin does is just to look good for optics. A lot of politics are playing down on the Russia's side from the political point of view. Because for one, Putin also, remember that, Putin has no idea what's happening on the war. Putin believes everything's going smoothly. Mr. Konoshenkov is basically providing him everything he needs to know. So Putin gives commands as though Russia would be doing smoothly. And he doesn't allow anyone, and the military upstairs also doesn't allow anyone, apparently, to even lose a single inch of land, or a centimeter, if you will. The trick is... You know, they build this sort of Ikin line and everything as defense and depth. Defense and depth presumes that once your main defensive line is overrun, then you step back to the other defensive line, right? You stretch it out. You trade you trade space for time, basically. Well, Russia does not do that. They have some defensive positions, but they do not move. They uh, achieve extreme casualties this way. And as soon as they have pushed back the Ukrainians, like they've stopped Ukrainians from moving, they do their own counterattacks, which causes them to lose even more things. In some regions, in some regions, the, the standard thing, 
by the way, in war is that you need to, you need three times more attacking force than defensive force. And that's a bit, you know, a bit antiquated and not very reliable these days, but that's a general rule. People just use it for, for being common. On average, the attacker always takes three times more casualties as a defender. Well, um, in Zaporizhzhia district, apparently, it's basically one-to-one. And in some other regions, you get Russians because they just refuse to use their own tactics and just mindlessly charge the meat assault whenever they can. They use they sometimes lose even more than the attacking side due to that whole situation, which is just bizarre. Because again, if Russia starts to retreat and move back somewhere, it really looks kind of you know bad for Putin, where he wants to present present everything as something awesome. And whenever whenever Ukraine gets some sort of a bit of a move on, then Russia goes on and says how many how many terrible casualties have they inflicted, which they actually kind of haven't, to be honest. And that's silly. And here in Zaporizhia district, uh, there was also this village where just across the Dnipro River, where Ukrainian uh, where Ukrainian scouts kind of crossed the river and then they took prisoner. Some and took some took prisoners. Some shot a Russian scout group, and then they used the phone and tried and tried to get some people into into an ambush. Well, that didn't happen, but they have established a beach there. And the situation is, well, looking quite dire on the Russian side. Ukrainians are doing their plans, and as far as I understood from what I can tell you, which by the way should be pretty obvious right now, but at least I have official permission to talk about this is the fact that Ukrainian strategy is just to wear out all the Russian lines as much as possible. Just wear them down, thin down their reserves, make them move around, do all these, all this stuff, so that once the Ukrainians make a breakthrough, that would be a big one. And getting across the Dnipro River, I consider that to be a pretty serious one. After all, that river is truly huge. It reminds you of a sea when you, if you go close to it. It's not some small river, by the way. It's, like, humongous. Weirdest part is that um, also Ukrainians in some parts of the front line, at least in Zaporizhia and Kherson, have achieved superiority in artillery. Now, that might seem strange until you remember that Russians cannot do logistics and that they do not have replacement barrels for their artillery guns. So, Ukrainians currently are actually firing more artillery than the Russians. So, this means that, weirdly enough, maybe even less POWs will be available because Russian generals just... Don't learn, they lie to each other, and that's the main thing that everyone's complaining about on the pro-war Russian side. And the main thing that POWs are also talking about. One thing that I was told is very noticeable is this apathy. This apathy of, you know, don't, don't bother the king, let the king do whatever he wants, as long as it doesn't bother us. They somehow truly believe that it's all theirs. And it's kind of Strange when that happens. The morale in the Russian side is not high, but they, you know, again, they do not think like the Ukrainians do. They're being sent off to die and everything. And also, well, earlier today, and I'm back from Ukraine, obviously, right now, earlier today we had another incident where Ramzan Kadyrov's troops managed to get in a firefight with these soldiers. Yeah, uh, even seven civilians died at that as well, which is not good, but it shows that there are conflicts inside the Russian army and everything is leading to the point where uh, it seems that, well, my prediction of them silently splitting up and, you know, falling apart could be true. They have they have weird traditions in Ukraine, though. Very weird. They are also suspicious and tired 
and they have a lot of bureaucracy and everything, but I'm inclined to believe, believe this POW guy. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at uh1.com. It, it tracks with everything I've heard and and all of this, and that's just sad that, yeah, any ideas of some sort of Russian soldiers taking up arms against their officers to stop the war, no, that's not going to happen. You have to say thanks for this to, to propaganda machine, to brainwashing, and in many cases for people just having nowhere else to go. And with the new mobilization... It looks even scarier. Now, when you look at Russian state television with all their propaganda, what they're saying, and how it differs from what they're doing, it's even scarier. I don't even know. I don't know what what ending could come from this, but I hope that everything moves swifter. These propaganda guys, they'll obviously state that, um, yeah, that they were innocent, that they were forced to do this, but I've watched enough Solovyov and everyone... To basically just to understand that they are playing a huge part in all this, all this war. They have taken the men from their own country and made them nothing but tools in the hands of despots. It's not like many, many in Russia even like want to be free that much. Sure, Putin's numbers are exaggerated, but from what I've seen, what I've been through just right now, yeah, that was. That seems unlikely that everyone, you know hates Putin so much. Which makes it even more sadder because because so many lives are just lost at random. Yes, I'm not a fan of the Russian government, but senseless loss of lives, if you follow your glorious Putin leader, uh, those could have been avoided on the Ukrainian side and, and also on the Russian side. However, still, Russians continue do some counterattacks, but they're all unsuccessful. Ukrainians are going to continue methodically bashing in things, making beachheads and focusing on what they can achieve. Ukrainians are obviously not going to give up. They're probably going to maybe do some more anti-counter-drone thing. But once again, Russian side, thankfully, is at a major loss currently at qualified non-commissioned officers. Their logistics are in shambles. And they're just literally making do all the time. The parity in equipment and and training is finally starting to show itself. At least right now. The worst part is that um, I don't know when the F-16s are going to arrive. And like you'll always, I'll be be keeping check on what can we see and how can I poke the Western governments for more, for more weaponry. And yeah, after then, after Zaporizhia, after all that, we drove to Kiev, 
And then, well, I wanted to take a bus to get to the Warsaw from there, from where I had my plane to Riga. Apparently, well, I missed the bus because there were some errors. We took the wrong bus station. And then it was a crazy, crazy ride with Viktor to, to border and from border with another car. Because Viktor, Viktor's car, the one that we took to it, it couldn't drive. And I was taken to Ljubljan. And then from Ljubljan, I was <laughs> driven on a fire truck which was like 300 kilometers per hour going to Warsaw, and then I made it to my plane. And all this time, you know, getting more and more messages about um, how everything in Ukraine is being bombed. This is getting worrying. Besides this, there is another new company founded by Arkady Rotenberg, a billionaire, created by Kremlin in Crimea. So we might be looking at Wagner 2.0. These military companies are going to grow faster and faster, by the way. But that just, you know, random news that came in since Crimea is, uh, according to what I've seen and known, is going to be um, dealing with a lot of troubles pretty soon. However, here I also wanted to touch uh, on yesterday's episode, since a lot of you wrote that you wanted some comments on the actual contents of the letter. Well, I find it a bit strange since I thought that I explained everything quite well, you know. It should be obvious that I actually support Navalny's ideas originally about his criticism of the other people and the fact that, yes, indeed, it, it would really be better by, by, sorry, for everyone and, and by Russia to be actually a better state, you know, a functioning one, not this hole of corruption. So, in general, what they posted, what Navalny said about the 90s, yeah, there were a lot of missed opportunities. In a way, that also was themselves kind of excusing themselves for not taking active part which they have apparently understood later you know it is what it is however interestingly enough a lot of these people from the z side which i follow constantly they currently um are in the mood of stating that navalny has finally understood that liberalism is bad because they still call all those people liberals and in a way you can kind of understand that because this Election snagging in the 90s, which was done so that Zyugano from communists, which was at that time realistic opposition, could win. Yeah, I think that was the first thing that really, really made everyone angry. And Maxim Katz and other journalists that Navalny attacked there, yeah, they're not the saints of people. Maxim Katz is super arrogant. I don't like him personally, although he's given me some comments. But he just doesn't react, doesn't talk, and it's kind of hard to even communicate with any of these people in the Russian opposition. There are a lot of weird parts about this letter, though, again, in Russian. Because what Navalny says there is that he also has some responsibility upon this situation and everything, and that he should have done more to make Russia a more European state. Which I agree with, yes. But the loss of the 90s... I don't know. A lot of people felt betrayed about all the situation there and about all the judicial laws and everything. I am not an expert on the judicial laws, but a lot of people felt it was like the state also wronged them with the MMM affair with Mr. Mavrodi and the political shenanigans there also were completely strange. Yeah, I think the biggest crime that Navalny didn't mention is how no one really fought against NTV and other actual opposition media being closed down in Russia. That was a big issue. Currently, currently, I don't know. I don't know how they how they even intend to make any reforms or anything like that. Especially since 
you know, if they make some sort of a deal, if something like that happens, nothing is gonna nothing's gonna go down. There will be literally zero possible ways how anything can change in Russia. I don't I don't really think Russia and its current borders will will have another opportunity to fix itself and become democratic. I personally believe that Russia is still going to face some sort of internal collapse. But will have the opportunity to to basically change anything over there is the successor states, the many successor states. And no matter what, for example, Khodorkovsky tells you or what some very optimistic people want to want to say, I doubt they're going to keep this all together. Just too unrealistic. And besides, the common people also hate the government and the government doesn't care about the people all the time. I just wonder whether or not Navalny is going to be tortured once again about this. And whether or not this is more or less organized. Because these ideas of freedom and everything, yeah, they're good on paper, but you have to do something about them. And there are the criticisms that have been levied upon all the people in Russia for many, many years. They have, they have had many years to understand their mistakes and everything. And currently... Currently, there is no one from the Russian opposition that doesn't agree that Russia is turn, turning into a basically like 100% fascist, nearly totalitarian state. Strange part is that, yeah, they they put their hopes, those that you know want some freedoms and liberties, on the Ukrainians. Because they also don't really believe that anything could happen from inside without some sort of elites starting the whole revolution and everything. So... I don't know how Navalny intends to get a new chance in the future and how everything's going to turn out and manage everything. But yeah, this is kind of weird that um, I'm sorry for not being that clear last time because I agreed with his ideas, obviously, which was, I don't know, to me, somewhat, somewhat okay. One important thing, though, that I have to throw at Navalny directly in this letter is that I did not sense the, f- I did not get the sense of humility in a way. There are things he's done that he has not apologized for, where he had a great chance. After all, he has stated, and I saw it live, that uh, Crimea is not a not a sausage sandwich. You can't just give it back, exchange it. And also, he was very anti-Georgian in the two thousand and uh, two thousand and six events, two thousand and eight. Sorry, again. Not Paul Knight can't sleep and can't do proper work either. And he's also said some very racist things about all Rush to the Russians stuff and everything like that. And then again, there's this question, which Russia, especially since the parts that they have actually colonized where they're just a minority. So it's getting a bit weird. There's more and more talk about this nuclear testing going on as well, as to the stress. No, I didn't even mention anything about this to be done in the future in this democratic rush with those I do not know how he imagines anyone in, in any peace deal allowing Russia to keep those, even if Russia stays in one piece. A lot of things unsaid, a lot of things unmentioned. And this just added to dishonesty, if you wanted some comments on the content. But, you know, I can't really say anything bad about Navalny while he's sitting in prison. His team, however, no, that's a different matter. I don't know, I'd, I'd be suspicious about all the situation. If he'd be advocating for a presidential republic or something, then I think it would be a bit better situation. However, you know, 
it's still a bit more political plays or something like that. After all, he is still in a prison. And the war is still sadly going on and people are still dying. It's kind of a messy situation with this with this whole language and everything. Weird that it took them just so, so many years to finally understand that what they did in the past was kind of wrong. I hope this understanding comes sooner rather than later to the readers of the Vietnamese message and maybe to their team as well. But in a way, nothing's changing really. Not right now. And Navalny, he's either going to die in prison or be let out. Eventually, someone is going to have to do something about that. Even if we presume that Putin manages to live for a long time, eventually he will die. And then what? Then Navalny will be let out? By whom? How? What's the reason for all this situation? The the future is more uncertain than ever, and it is disconcerting that, uh, you know, the people who are supposed to be sort of our allies inside Russia turns out to be less than that. Less than that, sadly. Meanwhile, like, the only op- the only possibility that I can see is just arming Ukraine and waiting until they start fighting with each other even more and all of that just falls apart. Nani's letter, although contains some positive messages and has some good ideas there, like I mentioned yesterday, was very poorly done and did not give me any any hope. Even if all of what they say is genuine, yeah, what difference does it make, to be honest? The fact that right now people are just arguing more on the Russian news about the past. The fact that, again, everyone in the West gets blamed for anything and everything they have done. Because, because of course, it's hard to take responsibility, but sometimes you just have to do it. You just have to clean house. And I did not see that with this letter. Well, I hope that explained a thing or two to you. I will now maybe take a nap, maybe not. I don't know yet, but I have to read those articles or things are going to get really bad. So um, have a great day, night or evening, everyone. Please join the Discord. Consider becoming our patron. I still have more things to organize in my own head. Is <laughs> still on the catching up mode. Um, yeah, if you want to listen to this show without ads, you can also always go to the Eastern Board LV and listen from there where you can also find our donate button, which would be super nice and thankful if you did. And uh, today, we'll be going out and sending out those hats, finally. And also, uh, yeah, articles. It's going to be a long day. And, uh, well, we have a proper hardcore news episode to make as well later on. As always, remember, happiness is mandatory. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at uh1.com. 